Rioth. With our himbo powers combined, we couldn't push our favorite candidates over the edge primary day yesterday. Well, I was going to welcome the listener, Snake, to the Jeremy Zellner, Jer- Jeremy Zellner Radio Hour, <laughs> dedicated to our fearless leader, Jeremy Zellner. We're getting Zellnuts. We're getting Zellnuts up in here, uh, where we pledge fealty on the hour, every hour, to Jeremy Zellner. That's right. The Democratic establishment has won. They, they, they got us. Yeah. They got our asses. I am roasted. I, I am adopted. I am sunned. They, they got me, Rye. But we're used to this feeling, aren't we? used to losing no i'm not maybe you i don't think you are i hope our listeners aren't not personally no we here at the square podcast we never lose all right others eh, elections come and go we never lose because today we are winning with buffalo news investigative reporter mr politics as i like to call him do you like that do you like that name charlie Mr. Politics. It's your podcast, whatever you Can I call you that here? (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Mr. Politics. Charlie Speck. Charlie, welcome to the square, brother. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm a fan of the pod and been listening to you guys for a while. And, uh, uh, you know, it's... uh, it's good to to hear stuff, you know, that's not coming from the the big wigs, you know, and what people are really talking about. And I feel like that's that's why I love listening to you guys. And uh, uh, thanks for having me on. Don't Keep get it real. Don't confuse us with the small wigs, by the yeah. way. Uh-huh. Don't. <laughs> um, midwigs. No. Mid, midwigs. Yeah. We are the midwigs. I'm feeling pretty mid today after these election results, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to lie. Um, so, listener, when are we dropping this, Nick? Oh, probably Friday. Probably Friday. Okay, so if somehow, God forbid, you are one of those people who gets your news from the Square Pod, which God love you, we love you, but holy shit. Um, you may or may not have seen the results of the Buffalo Common Council elections in, you know, the competitive districts. Uh, we have North, we have Maston, we have University, and we have Lovejoy. Um, were the and there was another one, right? Am I missing one? Am I, I had a long day. University, North, Lovejoy, Ellicott, and Ellicott. Ellicott, that, that's right. <laughs> that's another competitive one. So we, we saw... Send your apologies to Matt Deering. I well. <laughs> He's going to need more than my apologies. I suppose we ought to start there, huh? Um, so in the Ellicott district, Leah Halton Pope, Charlie, was the big winner out of the four-person primary by a significant margin. Yeah, he, she was, uh, you know, really ran away with it. I think it was two-to-one margin from over uh, Holloway was the next closest i thought deering had some momentum there at the end but i guess i was wrong uh talked to matt today actually the story will be online tomorrow morning but i'm um you know just sort of writing about that whole theme of you know the progressive candidates it was not a great day for them and there was a lot of momentum and a lot of and i think um you know they were you know the the india thing for the political establishment you know two years ago was a was a shocker but I noticed it much seemed to be much more organized this year, you know, doing PR, doing endorsements. And, uh, you know, you're always hearing from candidates during the, you know, campaign, but I heard from them on a consistent basis. It just seemed to be a very professional operation. So I think there was some surprise that, you know, at least one of the, uh, the four, you know, working families endorsed candidates didn't, didn't get through. I know that uh, every time I'd call Matt, you know, he'd be like, I'm, I'm, I'm running around doing this or I'm going to the post. And it did really seem to be more of a grassroots. I'm doing this on my own sort of campaign um, as opposed to, you know, Leah had the, the party backing. 
you know, if you looked at her petitions, uh, which were interesting for other reasons, <laughs> there, <laughs> um, there, you know, there was a lot of party support there. And then I did a story about she, she had a lot of Albany, you know, money flowing in. And it's just, you know, not to say that that's, um, that you can't do that. And she said, you know, you make relationships, you know, and I'm not going to apologize for those, but uh, definitely, you know, when you have that grassroots energy, so, you know, you, you feel like a person like that has a shot, but, you know, last night the results said differently. So they sure did. And, you know, before we dive too much into this, I want to say, you know, a lot of listeners uh, of our show here uh, might be very sympathetic or are our friends, people who worked on, um, any number of these campaigns, you know, the working families endorsed candidates, insurgent candidates, whatever you want to call them, really. Um, we respect, I respect you for putting yourself out there, for doing the work on the campaign, for getting civically involved. Um, I respect candidates for, you know, and I respect Matt. Obviously, we had him on the show. We like him. He's our friend. Um, we keep it real here. And keeping it real means like, dude, you came in third in a primary, in, in a four-person primary. Um you know, your early voting, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling up the, the numbers here. So um, early voting, Matt had 75 votes, um, Cedric Holloway at 81, Leah Halton Pope at 183. The final totals, of course, um, Halton Pope with 1,100 odd votes, Holloway with 651 votes, Deering with 408, and Eddie Egrew with 223. So like I, something there in that campaign out of out of all the campaigns that we we talked about i view that as the one that made the most sense for the person who ran in it to run in because it was a four-person primary right? right like it was pretty open um leah halton pope not exactly beloved by the democratic st- establishment uh, enough so that people weren't scared off by mm-hmm. her you know even though she D- touting herself as the only one of the candidates which wasn't true with government experience right, right. I, maybe people believe that maybe diamond Jim was right. And, uh, you know, the vote was split amongst the three men in the race. Right. Can't dismiss that, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I'm happy that we have not one, but two women on the council, sure. something we haven't had since 2014. Um, you know, we'll talk about the other race where that happened, uh, where we had a women, woman win the race, but like, okay, if we're focusing on, on Matt Deering's campaign, his election, um, Charlie, I mean, you know, you were a lot more on the ground with candidates and, you know, talking. What, what's your take on this? Like, it, was this a shock to you that Matt ended up in third? Or to put it another way, like, do you feel like there was any kind of, like, an, any other way this could have went? You know, I was surprised that he came in third. I thought, I mean, I thought he had a, sh- a shot to win. So um, that was wrong. <laughs> but y- so do it, we, <laughs> you know, just uh, momentum wise. And, you know, I, Leah, frankly, was was spending a lot of time in Albany. You know, when I'd call her, she would she was in Albany with you know during the budget process with uh, majority leader, and you know that's that's never a good thing when you're not on the ground in the community. But she clearly must have you know made made up for that um, when she was here. And but you know, I think it was easy to overlook Cedric Holloway too because he's the kind of guy that doesn't really come off as a politician when you meet him. Um, but you can't underestimate, you know, how many police officers he knew and, um, how many people through his work at the Wiley's, you know, Genevieve Wiley that he, that he knew, um, and he could still, 
you know, he almost could have, if Leah wasn't in that race, he almost could have been the more establishment-ish candidate. But, you know, she was giving off those vibes much more than him. So I think a lot of people overlook that. Um, you know, the, the connections that he made in the community were, you know, those are like decades old connections, whereas Matt is running basically a campaign of ideas. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He's, you know, we had a lot of great, you know, um, in the eyes of, you know, progressive policy proposals and stuff, but that's different from, you know, running more of a, uh, personality based, I guess, campaign, which would make sense for someone who has those community ties, um, so I was, I was surprised, but, uh, when it comes to, you know, a four-way race, it's like, you never know. How about Eddie Egrew though? Got 9% of the, how about yeah. Eddie Egrew? How about, I, 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 we gotta do the calculations at some point, like the dollar spent to votes. Like we, we gotta, we gotta crunch the numbers here, snake. And we gotta figure out like how many hundreds of thousands of dollars he spent between legal fees and getting on the ballot versus the number of votes he's gotten over the years. You figure running in all these primaries is a grind. It's tiring, right? Costs a lot of money. It's a lot of effort, but he loves it. It's like a hobby of his. Yeah. It always, why didn't he start on, and maybe I think he did run years ago, but you know, he had. Going he didn't get on the ballot Higgins, though. He couldn't you know, do it. Right? He couldn't do it. And it's like start small like this, and then get up to the Congress. Yep. Uh, he did call me during the campaign. I was like, you know, what, what, what the heck? Why aren't you paying more attention to me? Um, you know, but it's tough. It's uh, you know, maybe after this, he got on the ballot, and I think you know, maybe people take him a little more uh, seriously. But uh, when you got four people running in a council race, it's you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of. Um, yeah, well, I'm interested to hear, you know, your guys take, I mean, in the media, I think it's easy to get, you know, we're sort of biased in the media toward the idea that, oh, campaigns are about like ideas and policy and a lot of stuff. And, nah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> not, not here, not here, baby, not in the snake pit. They're not. <laughs> and uh. When you get right down to it, it's like, you know, you know, politics is about is also about getting people out, getting your people out, you know, and to vote. And that's what political we call them political machines because they're good at doing that, you know. So me and my boy Buffalo Troll, we were hanging out last night at Row Halls and we were chopping it up, you know, and as the results came in, um, he's a big backer of all the the working families party endorsed candidates as well. Um, but we kept coming back to two things, Charlie. One, institutions, they're back. They never really left. And two, retail politics, baby. That's it. You know your people, you know, you go, you, you hit your doors. Or maybe if you're a guy like, I don't know, Joe Golumbek, you don't even need to hit the doors anymore. You've been around for 24 years. You probably lost your mind twice over. Um, I mean, there is a distinction there, right? Because retail politics, Eve Shippens was out. Her, her, her campaign and her volunteers were out knocking doors. And Joe seems like he was playing the text game. When I so, say when I say retail yeah, politics, that up. so when I'm talking about Joe Golombek's kind of retail politics, I was actually at Rohal's. No shit, there was a guy who's sitting at the bar, just hanging out there, and we we you know we're like, oh yeah, the primaries today. He had a little I voted sticker. He's like, yeah, I'm in. I live in North District. I own a, a business over in um, uh, Kaisertown, but I live in North District. And he's like, you know, I hate Byron Brown, and I was, was posting on Facebook about it. And and Joe Golombek sends me a message. He's like, hey, I like Byron Brown. I'd love to take you out to lunch and talk to you about Byron Brown. So Joe Golumbeck takes this guy, this random guy out to lunch and 
you know, pays for his lunch. And this guy's like, well, look, I didn't feel any different about Byron Brown, but I felt a lot better about Joe Golombek. And he listened to me. He was passionate. And I mean, I, I don't know how many people he's doing that for, but what I do know is that constituent services for Joe Golombek's people, like they, they live and die in that district for him. He goes to bat for him. Polonia is always served <laughs> in the North district. Right. So they know. So again, like retail politics, you say, well, it's knocking on the doors. Well, kind of, but I mean, it's really building those, those deep relationships and, and Joe Golombek for my money, uh, bar none. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And it, it, retail politics, but all in, but you know, once you're in office, those constituent services, I mean, let's be honest, how many breathtaking, you know, remarkable visionary laws is the Buffalo Common Council passing on a yearly basis? Is the Erie County Legislature passing on a yearly basis? You know, they're doing a lot of, um, you know, uh, tweaking the executive's budget or the mayor's budget, and then the rest of it, you know, is constituent services and helping people access the government services that they, uh, you know, that they're entitled to. So, um, if you're good at that, I think you've, you've already got, and, and I think that's why it is hard for someone to come and challenge an incumbent, especially one who's been there, uh, for some time. Um, but the issue of like shelf life and stuff, it didn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. Uh, I mean, look at what Poland is now going for his fourth term. Brown is, uh, he Six. likes to say is yeah yeah and on channel two yesterday he said what did he say um people have been saying sex in the mix you know and <laughs> more and more we're hearing this oh no <laughs> um wow you know depending on this this uh this buff state thing if that if that happens but uh um you know i was thinking about it yesterday it could have been a really interesting okay so this is kind of a crazy scenario but i said to somebody there is a technical chance that India Walton could still become mayor. What if she got in on the council? If, if Brown decided to leave, um, you know, and, and if, if she made the case, you know, instead of, you know, Nowakowski or somebody else about, you know, like to, you know, she went for council president, the council president becomes acting mayor. You know, I, I mean, I kind of doubt Brown would, would let that happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, he's still salty. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he, 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 uh, I actually asked him when he, when he came up, he came up for the, to meet with the editorial board, I want to say like earlier that maybe like two months ago. And so the way it works is editorial board just kind of is a separate thing and they do their endorsements and stuff, but it, but they're, they allow reporters to come in and listen and, you know, take notes. Everything is on the record. Um, in case someone says something like newsworthy, basically. Um, and I think Bob McCarthy had just left and they didn't have anyone. So they said, Hey, can you come in and just sit on this thing with the mayor? And I asked him about Indy and I said, you know, you, you might have a adversarial council. And he was pretty much what he told me today. He was very, um, confident that, Oh, you know, this message has been rejected soundly by voters. Um, and then he's, I noticed he's using the term, is it is it pragmatic progressive or something? Is it people want a pragmatic progressives? Uh, I think that's the term. But uh, yeah, it, you know that was that that's kind of what what he's saying. And um, 
the issue of shelf life with Golumbic. What, what has he been there? 20? 24? 24 years? And I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, so, for again, for the folks who only get your news from us, God forbid, um, vote totals in the North District. Uh, Joe Golumbic with 70, almost 71% of the vote with a th- 1,073 votes to Eve Shippen's 29 and some change with 448 votes. Um, Charlie, you know, it's something that I, I can't help, and me and Diamond Jim were talking a little bit about this, but I can't help but think, like, Joe Golumbek is no friend of Jeremy Zellner. He's no, like, he's giving money, last we knew, against Kathy Hochul's um, governor's race, right? So this is not like some ensconced Democrat. This isn't like the institution's favorite. And yet, and yet, he still ended up being, you know, the Democratic candidate had all the, the resource of the Dem Party. Um, a couple things sprout to mind. One, we, we saw this slate of progressive candidates running this year. And, you know, there was a lot of sound and fury. What there wasn't much sound and fury about was the Democratic committee. Um, and I know this is like a little bit about, you know, how the sausage gets made kind of stuff, but truly like the Democratic committee and having sway there on who the committee endorses is so impactful to a lot of these races. And even one of these candidates on the, you know, progressive slate or whatever you want to bill it as having the democratic party endorsement or having, you know, committee members who could kind of stump for them behind the scenes, I think it had an impact. Um, I mean, were you surprised at all? We're going back in the time machine a little bit here, maybe even a year ago, but are you surprised that we haven't seen as much focus from you know, our city or the working families or whoever, whatever left flank you want to bill it as, is not pursuing the committee and not really like trying to get more cachet in the Democratic Party in the area. I am a little bit uh, because I, you know, that would be the obvious way for them to make inroads. One of the toughest things since I started this beat, I think it was four months ago, is, is trying to keep track of all the different factions of Democrats is like, you know, it's nuts. You know, there's there's the Unity Coalition, there's Grassroots, there's the Mayor's Operation, there's Higgins, there's, um, you know, uh, Poland Cars, uh, you know, the official committee, and Zellner is trying very hard, saying that we're all unified, right? You know, and it's it, technically now, you know, but... And they all fucking hate each other. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like they all despise each other on some level. You know, as soon as a congressional seat opens up, you know, all, all, all hell's going to break loose. You know, it's going to be a, a, a total maelstrom. But I think there's just so much suspicion from, you know, India and progressives about, about the committee. And I think on some level, they are sort of, you know, anti-institution or at least that institution. You know, they'd ra- I think they'd rather just not be a part of, of that and say, it's not worth it. Let's build our own thing. And actually, uh, Zellner. So when this goes out, my article will have already published Zellner actually said something pretty interesting to me today. He, he sort of disavowed himself and said, you know, we we have to this point been open to all democratic candidates. People want to elect them, but he used like a marriage reference and he was like, well, you know, now after tonight, he's like, I think we're officially separated, you know, sort of like, you know, we, we don't need them and, and we're not going to be, you know, all friends here. Um, and it was all, even when they endorsed India after the primary, it was always, you know, a very awkward sort of right. relationship. Um, 
to say the least. Yeah, and and there's, uh, you know, there's things like she's not on the working families ballot, and it was another thing where it's a technicality. You know, she didn't fill out a form in time, so there's just so much suspicion. You know, the Zellner will say, oh, you know, like these are the rules. I, I can't bend the rules for people. And, you know, whereas her people look at that and say, this is just the system trying to screw us, right? I'm using all these old levers, you know, at the Board of Elections or whatever to try to keep us out. Um, so I, I think that they're probably loath to try to, I don't want to say infiltrate that organization, but just be a part of it. You know, maybe they keep, I mean, on some level, though, like, does India really need the Democratic committee? Isn't she sort of building her own thing? Or at least it seemed like, you know, she was building a pretty effective grassroots. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see, you know, the results like last night and it makes you wonder. You know? yeah, well, the path of that's the working families line, right? I would assume. Well, oh. so th- so they say. But remember, we did the campaign finance episode, and and Diamond Jim, who is <laughs> in recovery, couldn't couldn't join us here today. Um, wish he could, but um, you know, he made a great point. He's like, "Look, the Working Families Party. Oh, what the fuck did they do before the primary? Like, they they really did not have. You saw none of the Working Families money coming in right. before this primary. You didn't see anybody hardly on the ground doing any of the stumping. Um, even with India's primary win in 2021, it was only the working family showed up after she won the primary. Right. So the working families party itself, like Buffalo troll and I, he's like, yeah, you know, they're going to turn off the spigot here to Buffalo to which diamond Jim said, like what spigot? They're not, they're not putting money in here. Um, they gave you know, some late money yesterday. They gave, I think 1700, 1750 each candidate. But at that point it's, you know, pretty late i mean at that point it's just kind of saving face and and you know we keep talking about india walton so let's okay let's dive into the maston district election shall we uh india walton uh with 32.55 percent of the vote 750 votes lost to zanetta everhart uh who garnered 66.54 percent of the vote with uh 1533 votes um to be expected in a lot of ways i i think you would really have to be telling yourself a lot of stories to think that India Walton was going to have a, a much of a chance against Zanetta Everhart. Um, just based on, again, like, I, I, I know everybody, I know everybody loves India Walton. We like India personally and our politics do align, but I, I want you to think about this on a practical level because again, like on a race of this size, we're talking about, you know, the margins being like, what, 1,500, 700 votes? These are small communities that we're talking about. And I know everybody loves India, but think about it a different way. And I know India did very well in the Maston district when she, you know, in in both the primary and in the general, I believe, uh, when she ran for mayor. But like, India Walton was a carpetbagger. <laughs> like she moved into the district in order to win a seat that she thought was winnable. And at one point during the race, it was, I mean, it was, it was, but at one point during the race even said like, well, you know, I could have moved to Niagara if that would have been easier. Like basically saying like, Oh, I could have picked this di- district, this district. I know she has a lot of ties to mass. Nobody's questioning yep. that, but also you flip it around. And if there's a quote unquote establishment candidate moving into a district because they thought it was winnable, I think a lot of people would you know, be pretty pissed off. I think that from the first time I asked her about master and about buying a house there, she said, well, you know what I really should be you know, running for is that like an at large council seat. And, and she seems she would be kind of the perfect 
fit for that because her issues are citywide issues. I mean, almost, you know, talking about the Maston district housing issues, this campaign was, I don't want to say it was a step down for her, but it's, you know, she goes from winning the mayoral primary to, you know, I'm going to represent uh, one seat in this ward system. Whereas if you had the at-large seats, you know, you can talk about bigger citywide issues like George Arthur used to and, and things like that. And um, not to mention, you know, getting rid of those seats uh, when they downsized it really, I think three of the four members were, were black. So that, you know, as far as the racial makeup of that, it, it diminished, um, you know, the voice of the black community. But I, I think maybe Maston wasn't as perfect a match as the campaign went on, as it seemed in the beginning. So, and also I was talking with Deidre uh, Williams, our city hall reporter about this. And she was, you know, we we're talking and say, you know, she did really well against, against Brown and Maston. And, but this wasn't really, so it's like people like her more than Brown, but they like Zanetta more than her apparently. And this wasn't the council race, even though kind of the insiders saw the different forces, it, Campaign-wise, it wasn't necessarily a referendum on Brown. Uh, it was more of, I'm Zanetta, and I'm running, and, you know, it was, she ran a, a positive message, basically, and she sort of is, uh, you know, from a headquarters point of view, kind of the perfect candidate to, it's really hard, right after everything that she went through to right. attack right. someone, you know, it would... Well, and, and, you know, and it's funny because talking to certain um, certain sects of the, the left flank or whoever they're like oh well you know the uh the democratic party like this narrative comes up where it's like well the democratic party was so scared of india walton that you know they pushed out ulysses wingo so that they could stop india and i'm thinking like dude i think the democratic party might have godfathered ulysses wingo regardless of whether india walton was in that race and just said no zanetta everhart's going to be the, the councilman or council member yeah yeah that that and I noticed our city action today sort of took credit for his stepping aside. Um, actually, they said two council councilmen stepped aside, you know, because they were facing whatever insurgent. Again, I, I don't know if the, that's true for Prigion. I don't uh, think so. But, I mean, maybe it is for uh, for Wingo, but uh, yeah, it will be interesting. So I, I'm, you know, I'm interested what you guys think. Zanetta, it will be interesting to see how how independent she is, because while she's you know showing up in these in these pictures with the mayor and then you know they're they're hugging last night and stuff, I believe you know she was backed more by the sort of Champy of Unity Coalition group of VCDC, maybe yeah. more than the mayor's operation, whatever it is now. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it, um, so it will be interesting to see if she just goes along or if she does, you know, be a little more independent than Wingo was. It's it's tough to say. I mean, you know, for a lot of what we know about Zanetta Everhart, obviously in the wake of the top shooting, you know, her son being a victim, thankfully he survived. Um, but that was her public profile. And and like you alluded to, Charlie, a lot of her messaging is, is very positive. It wasn't, you know, very little negative messaging about India Walton. It was more, I'm Zanetta. I'm who's best for the district, but it was, you know, I, I don't want to say it was bland necessarily, but it, you know, in contrast to India Walton, who, you know, presented a slate of ideas, um, 
Zanetta Everhart said, you know, I'm a person of the community. I'm a community activist. And she is, you know, she has a long history of being a community yes. activist in the Maston district um, and beyond. So in terms of her being independent or not, um, I, I can't imagine that she's going to be like, you know, causing a massive ruckus when she comes in. But I mean, she's got a lot of, she's got a lot of cachet. Like, you know, having the support, the, the full-throated support of Tim Kennedy, more importantly, the full-walleted support of Tim right, Kennedy. Right, right. Um, that right there sets you up. People are going to listen to you in the council. You know, even if they think like, oh, you're only, even if they only think you're Tim Kennedy's puppet, I don't think she is. But even if you think that she's like, you know, moving whatever way Tim Kennedy tells her, guess what? You still have to listen to her because Tim Kennedy has a shit ton of power. So if you think this is Tim Kennedy's person, you are going to follow their lead. Um, so I don't know if she's going to, you know, be a get along to get along type of person or, you know, if she really wants to, if she's going to be emboldened to act how she wants it could it really could go I, i'm more inclined to think that she's going to be a little bit more independent than people think and it's not as if the brown administration is like laying down all of these policy proposals for the council to react to i mean it, you know it's been sort of they've been in somewhat of a reactive mode here for the first couple of years of the of the new term um anyway um so it's not necessarily there's going to be all these issues that people are going to have to take you know stands on um but yeah, so I thought it was real. I was fascinated by what you guys were talking about last week with Kennedy, the, the idea that, you know, because I, we've heard for years he's wants to be mayor and he's obviously got this huge war chest, but, you know, like you said, is is that big enough for him now? Could he stay? And I floated that to somebody last night. I said, could, could he stay and become like majority leader or something? And they were pretty skeptical. Just, I know we have a lot of upstate you know, power right now, but the idea that, you know, an upstater is going to become majority leader, I think maybe that happened. I think Earl Bridges. Mm -hmm. So I wish Diamond Jim was. Diamond Jim would know. I roll he would know. Like, yeah. He'd have Earl Bridges like that. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of uh, powerful uh, Albany, once powerful Albany figures, how about George Maziar's? Oh, George. Yeah. The comeback tour. He yeah. not 15% in the new Fane Town Board primary. So much um, for that. It's yeah. tough out there. Yeah. Tough out there for George. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Tim, listen, Charlie, if you're, if you're intimating that Tim Kennedy might be thinking about a run for mayor, you're, you're speaking my language. That's my, that's my pet theory, baby. I've been on this for a while. Um, you know, others are, are a little bit skeptical of it. Um, I, I will say, you know, if he were to decide to, run for mayor and i'm not ruling it out and i also think that he would have a pretty favorable council um to do so but uh you know zanetta everhart i mean she's again the other woman like i've alluded to we have two women who were elected to the council uh zanetta being the other one um with leah halton pope um quite a marked uh difference from what we saw in 2019 where we had you know five women try to run for council. Um, they had some really bad advising and only one of them uh, made the ballot. Um, and we hadn't had a woman on council since 2014, but the other woman who ran for council this cycle. And again, the only one to make the ballot from 2019, Catherine Franco, who out of all these candidates, Charlie, um, you know, I, 
I was the most impressed by her enthusiasm and her energy. And I like she, she to me is somebody where I was like, wow, um, you have a lot of poise. And I think that were you to maybe really get a little bit more, I know people are loath to be part of the establishment. Okay, fine. But I think like if Jeremy Zellner out of all of the, the working families group, uh, or, you know, our city action endorsed group, he, she might be the one where they take a, a nice long look at and say, Hey, you know, she might be good for the party, but the results kind of speak for themselves. Unfortunately, Catherine Franco, uh, the totals on the university district, Rashid Wyatt, uh, wins with 65.67% of the vote with 1,209 votes to Catherine Franco's 34.6%, 627 votes. Um, less votes than last time. Last time it was about 1,400 to 700. Mm-hmm. Um, less votes, pretty much the same margin. Yeah. You're right. I, I Catherine has, she does have kind of a spark about her. I noticed that when I, when I you know, when I sat with her, India, and Eve Shippens. Um, I always wonder, though, about, you know, like a rematch kind of race. It's like, what's going to be different this time? You know, and, and, you, and you wonder about that. Also, it's hard, you know, it, uh, why it doesn't fit as conveniently into sort of the establishment box either because he's, well, he's clearly part of the establishment. He's He is somewhat of a critic of the Brown administration on the council, at least with some financial issues. He endorsed India. Right, right. 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 So it's hard to sort of tag him with like the... Mayor Byron Brown, you know, thing, which I think is, you know, is difficult. And does it seem like university, for whatever reason, often gets overlooked? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, By us, even. Yeah. Like, we overlooked it. We were late on it. You know, it, it just, uh, it, another again, another thing where it's like the location, or maybe that district wasn't the perfect, perfect thing, but Buffalo has a, you know, award system, and... um that's if you want to run, these are your options basically. Um, yeah, it's, uh, although I did, you know, th- there was talk that he was going to possibly go for, you know, controller. Um, but yeah, yeah, I could see that happening of, of ECDC, maybe taking a look and, uh, that's that, that's tough because you're right. There's some, you know, like Eve Shippen's, India, I, um, like, I don't think the committee is, wants them. I don't think they want to be wanted by the committee. You know, it's just like mutual bad blood and it's just, just not going to happen. But, and that's a real shame in in my opinion, because I mean, look, not for nothing. I I think whatever you want to say about the results. And I think there, you know, we, we've said a lot here today. We'll continue to say a lot more about the results because content is King baby. Let's go. <laughs> we got to crank out the crank out the slop. You got it. But seriously, like I think it would be a real shame for a lot of these folks to be willfully disenfranchised from the party infrastructure. One, because like you have a base of people who are energized probably in the Trump era you know, to be engaged in politics, whether it was Trump, whether it's Bernie Sanders, whether, you know, it's just simply the campaign of India Walton, whatever the political thing in the air that invigorated these people to want to engage in civic life, you have like motivated. I mean, I think about the people who, you know, volunteered for Eve at 
you know, two o'clock and then volunteered for India at four o'clock. And then we're out there by, you know, eight o'clock, whatever for Catherine. The energy is there. Right. And I mean, one of the criticisms and, and we said it on the show at the time where we were talking about, you know, you're firing in so many different directions to try to win these races, mm-hmm. you know, like you're like, okay, initially the plan. And then some people walked it back saying, well, we weren't going to run in all nine council districts. Uh, I was there. I remember when you said that, like, I, I remember when you said we're coming for, then all the qualifiers came, right? Like, well, we didn't mean tomorrow. Okay. Well, when you say you're, we're coming for them all, I mean, you could have had me fooled, but the fact remains that even, you know, three or four, however, you def- however many districts you define, you know, the progressives were going after in this uh, council cycle. I think it was too many still. I thought it was then I I thought three or four was too many then. Um, I still think it now. Um, But I mean, you split your time, your resources, your volunteers across three, you know, four uh, potentially different races. And it sucks. Like if you really want to like harness the engine, I think it sucks from both sides. I think it sucks from the people who are like, I will never, work in the committee with the democratic party and it sucks from the democratic party not wanting to maybe court some of that energy into the party now like you said jeremy zellner said well see you later so if they're at an impasse where do you go from here we already ruled out maybe working families party isn't the best path maybe these high profile at least locally high profile cases aren't the way to go is it maybe smaller roles in the government maybe running a comptroller race like well, comptroller's not small. <laughs> no, no, no. I guess. I mean, compared to maybe. Or do you just really put all your effort into the next time the mayor's mm-hmm. seat comes up? Yeah. And that's another, you know, so much of politics is timing too, right? I mean, uh, India's original, you know, race against the mayor, that was right after George Floyd. You know, and the mayor rolled out, he was under pressure to roll out some sort of police reforms, which were probably, it's fair to say, modest. Um, and didn't, you know, a lot of people, uh, didn't satisfy, satisfy them, but you know, again, we're a couple of years, uh, out from that now. Um, and you know, our, uh, editor brought this up to me and does also beg the question, you know, we saw all these progressive candidates coming forward after, you know, the pandemic, after George Floyd, when there was this real, sort of momentum or change with, you know, the establishment figures and the government, even with Democrats, we're a couple of years out from that now. Have people sort of forgotten or become more complacent with things, you know, a couple of years out and that maybe the progressive alternative uh, isn't as attractive to some of these voters as it was right in that moment? I don't know. I mean, also, it, you know, I think it, it bears saying that I don't think we in the city of Buffalo, I mean, like, look, the India Walton uh, mayoral primary win, I mean, it was a watershed moment. And I think in large part, it's because, like, I can't think in recent vintage of any councilmatic races that were so ideologically driven, right? Then we saw this year's slate. Even Franco in 2019, like, yeah, you know, she was on the progressive end, but it wasn't like, as dogmatic, I think, as it was presented as this year. And even, I think, in her personal politics, um, she's not, like, you know, left of Lenin or something. Like, she's, I, I'd say, fairly modest in her politics. She she just got, like, the brush of working families and, you know, our city action. But, like, this year's council races, we, I don't think we've ever seen it where it's been, like, you know, I'm as ideologically driven. 
And in general, I don't know if the electorates of these council districts are there now, if they're ever going to be there, or if that's coming soon, where it's more politicized on the micro level. Yeah, and the it's interesting at this local of a level, you know, like what are the the big issues? And going back, I, I've been going back, you know, to the different to our our political files. Um, my predecessor Bob McCarthy, and then his predecessor George Brelly kept these like meticulous, like Manila folder files from 1963 on so you can we can go back and look at every and just looking at what the issues were you know you go back to like i think i was thumbing through the 90s the other day and you know the big controversy was the garbage fee you know and (laughs) i think jimmy griffin got back into politics over the garbage fee wow yes um the criticisms of the brown administration are generally uh sort of just about like lack of performance with basic issues like garbage and snow and stuff. There's no big controversial, oh, we're going to institute a big garbage fee or a tax. There's nothing like, you know, it sort of shocks people into, um, oh my God, we can't let this happen, right? I mean, and the complaints are the same. You know, influence peddling, is there influence peddling going on? Too much, uh, too heavy in support of developers, that sort of thing. Um, Those are things that are probably salient political issues, but they don't necessarily get people to jump off their couch and say, I've got to get involved, you know, and, and find out who's, who's running. I guess I'm surprised that more Brown adjacent candidates in the primary weren't, weren't negatively affected by the blizzard response. Right. I, I, I thought there'd be more of an effect there and the margin between the winners and the losers really surprised me. I figured people would be motivated to come out the for report that. Came out. What's yeah. That blizzard right. report came out from yeah. NYU. Mm-hmm somewhat negative right and then just just the anecdotal res- responses from some people on social media and and uh and elsewhere about you know how long do i have to wait for my streets to get plowed right and um i don't know i mean all the deaths that that occurred unfortunately i mean i'm sure joe Golombic made sure his people's yeah. polonia streets were plowed <laughs> well that's a good point and um and maybe the uh, progressive candidates didn't make that as, as much of an issue as, as it maybe should have or could have been. Yeah. You know, they were trying to deal with it. Um, I noticed in like a very like macro way, like they had a, a press conference, but they said it was about like climate change and stuff, which, okay. If you're sitting there as a news organization, getting a bazillion things a day and like a local elected comes out about climate change, you're immediately thinking, you know, oh, they're going to, they're talking about something they don't even have control over. Yeah. Well, what they were really talking about was, if you read into it, was like plowing and, you know, flooding and stuff like that, um, which I think would have been, you know, which people do care about, but packaging it maybe in the climate thing is maybe not the best uh, yeah. strategy because I think from a news point of view, a lot of, you know, editors and producers who are looking at that just very quickly press releases coming in maybe you aren't making that connection um i i also do think that a certain amount of like i think all the governments this the state uh you know pulling cars and brown i think they all generally benefited from the fact that it was basically like a total government failure across the board um and it wasn't just you know one person really dropped the ball and everyone else did great. Uh, I think they, they probably, they probably benefit 
from that. And it, it was a different storm right than just your average Buffalo sure. snowstorm, the yeah. climate issue. Um, but I snow, you know, poli- the politics of snow, that was a big reason that Jimmy Griffin got in, you know, after the blizzard of 77 was because of the, the poor handling of that. Yeah. I thought that would be a pretty hot political issue because mm-hmm. it's something instantly recognizable. People are passionate about it in Buffalo, but you're right. It just kind of didn't become a huge, uh, a huge campaign issue. Yeah. And it's tough because again, like, you know, commendable, obviously that you're on a macro level worried about like the broader implications of, you know, whether it be climate change or, you know, into Walton, obviously talking about the housing crisis. And, and I mean, that is a micro level issue in the Maston district, but at the same time, like, I, I think there's something to that, Charlie. Like, I think you got to hone in on something on the micro level to really move that yeah. needle, especially yeah. like something specific to the district. And yeah, frankly, there weren't. <laughs> so there, I mean, Catherine Franco, I love her, but after we recorded that episode, I'm like, uh, where we interviewed her, I was like, okay, Catherine Franco is anti-party. Got it. Her big platform was the university district is having way too much fun at the two days of university days. So we're going to cut all that partying out once I get elected. <laughs> and the people of the university district said, now nah, we're good. <laughs> Don't cut the parties. It's no, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a tough, that's tough uh, platform to run on. Who knows, though? Maybe there will be another October freak storm right before Election Day. And then, you know, maybe uh, the burning embers will, will, will start a, f- a flame again for the uh, Working Families Party in the general. We, we, sh- we, we should be so lucky here, <laughs> uh, Snake. But, Charlie, I'd be remiss if we did not, uh, you know, we, 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 we look at both sides of the aisle here at the Square Podcast. You know, we, we, we look at all the races, baby. And, and there was a big one out in the 10th County Ledge District, uh, the Republican and Conservative Party primaries, where we saw, we're talking about institutions here, uh, James Melcheski, backed by the Republican Party, Mike Crocker's uh, candidate here, versus Lindsay Larigo, uh, who is, well, the Larigo's candidate from the Conservative Party. Um, Lindsay Larigo wins pretty handily. Yeah, that that was so. <clears throat> should say not hand, hand well handily, in the sense that like she's a not an institution. She won both. She won both. Yeah, she won the that, conservative. Well, uh, we think as of now. So I should say Melchevsky has not conceded, and she won by thirty three votes in the. It was thirty three, and I think eighty one. Uh, Actually, I have it. Oh, yeah, no. She won thirty by 33 votes in the Republican primary and by 86 in conservatives, so less than 120 votes. So handily. <laughs> but, um, you know, these are rural areas we're talking about. And, uh, you know, not a ton of, you know, like you said, a ton of people making a difference. But uh, Malchewski, I don't think, is conceded. My colleague, Sandra Tan, is, is reporting that out um, as to, you know, if there are enough absentee ballots and stuff, but you know, she's probably got it. I kind of heard and thought from a lot of people that the, um, that she would maybe win conservative and he would win Republican. This would continue on until November. Her people were putting out numbers that were just, you know, that she had a 40 point lead and, <laughs> you know, always very skeptical of those internal polls, you know, and what, so Melchevsky's, uh, you know, he's the incumbent, but he, like he's been in the seat for like five months or something, you know. So it's, 
it really was such a, uh, you know, a strange race in that, you know, that amount of money, I believe, I believe more than $100,000 were spent by her, by the state conservative party on her behalf. And I don't know if you saw some of these ads, but they were just, so, you know, the, the Bud Light thing. Yeah. Uh, did you see that? Ad? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, the Bud Light thing with, you know, uh, right wing people hate the Bud Light now because yeah, of the trans right. thing. And yep. they, and so they, uh, you know, Chris Grant made an ad at saying, um, it was a Bud Light can, and instead of Bud Light, it said Jim Elshevsky. And on the back, it had like him drinking all this beer, and you know, it was in the Bud Light. I mean, just stuff like that. That was, um, it was, it was catchy, and it defined him. I think you know he. That's the one thing you know you don't let yourself be defined by your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you pay the big dog big money. Yeah, <laughs> right. But then, I mean, just when we thought you know things were wrapped up here. Then we get this Paladino thing, and we reported, you know, Chris resigned and was adamantly opposed to, you know, Paladino getting in the race. It was an interesting move by Larigos, uh, you know, like what a person to like inject into the campaign at a at a late moment. You know, usually Paladino's, you're usually at that you're holding out your endorsement for like a beloved figure by all, right? <laughs> you know, it's like not a yeah. polarizing, but you know, maybe it, I, I don't know if it helped. Again, we're talking about Republicans in a very rural area where Paladino, what do they call that? Carl country. Uh, it's a big country. Is, yeah. Uh, you know, and Melchizedek's base is, is Elma, which I, I lived out there, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, it's hard to go door to door in Elma. Yes. And, uh, Whereas West Seneca is obviously more populous, you got, and that's really home turf for for Larigos. Um, that uh, that was big, and that actually the town of Aurora was pretty uh, key if you look at the um, you know the more granular uh, results. But it, you know, in many ways, this was a battle between the conservative party and the Republicans, uh, and you know, hearing a lot of blame going around, a lot of people. Uh, going after Michael Crocker and saying, oh my God, you know, this is, he, it was a contested, you know, chairman's race anyway. Mitch Martin was going for that. Absolute bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, and then you've got, you know, a lot of people, I guess his critics saw it as sort of an unforced error by picking a fight with, with Ralph Larigo. You know, I mean, if you look at it from his point of view, it's like he just became the chairman after a contested election you know, your first item of business shouldn't be like, let me bow down to another party boss. You know, that's not necessarily going to engender a lot of confidence either. So, you know, he did this and, you know, it probably, you know, obviously it, it didn't work out with, with, with Lindsay getting in there, but it's been, um, you know, it, it's, I mean, it, at some points it's hard to keep track of all the things going on with all the different Larigos, uh, <laughs> you know, Joe, Joe now, we report on Joe's thing. Um, oh, goes. <laughs> the first thing when you, you know, we talk with Ralph, it's like, first thing he wants you to know is that he's outlasted, I think it's six Republican chairmen. And, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've, for all these people, and, um, you know, it's that very, like, old school um, sort of brand of politics and the party boss and, and that sort of thing. Um but, you know, like, I think like, like Jeff was saying last week, you know, what does this mean? It just means, 
you know, the, the, the price will be higher as far as, you know, endorsements and, and that sort of thing. You know, you can look at it from the perspective of, oh, well, you know, this just, Larigos, they won, you know, they were triumphant over the Republicans, you know, but also I had somebody call me today and say, look, if you look at the, at the town by town results, you know, in some ways he doesn't have the power over his own party that he did in the past. You've got, I mean, you just, Ralph Rigo used to just be able to say, this is who we're endorsing, and yeah. that's it. Now you've got people in Tonawanda and other places running and having having to run these primaries, um, which is, you know, maybe a sign that, you know, in, in Evans, you know, there's people being called in for these hearings and, and trying to, like, deregister people, which is an unusual thing for a party boss to be doing. Purity, purity tests. Yeah, Honest to right. God, purity tests. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, again, it shows the influence of the minor parties, particularly conservative, um, in, especially in a place, you know, like Western New York, I, I wrote in my story today that, you know, a Democrat in, in Buffalo is very different than a Democrat in Manhattan. You know, this is traditionally an, an ethnic blue collar, um, sort of socially conservative town thinking of places like Cheektowaga. Uh, and the progressive candidates haven't done as well, but there is, a, as far as progressives go, there is a bright spot in all this, and we'll be probably covering this more going forward. In November in Chictawaga, Brian Nowak is yeah. very good friend of the podcast. Yeah, we yeah. got the sign yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because you know when you think Chictawaga, I mean, you definitely don't think of like a liberal utopia. I mean, this is <laughs> this is, uh, um, but. You know, he got the, and there was a lot of stuff going on with those petitions between him and uh, Adam Zick, but uh, but now he would be facing a Republican, and I'd have to go way back. I don't know when the last time Chictawaga elected a Republican, if, if ever. I don't I don't know. So that yeah, would be interesting. Remember. Well, yeah. and, and I mean, it's funny you bring up Brian, because like, to me, Brian is like kind of the, um, the ideal for your progressive candidate here in Western New York, right? Like granted, you know, he's not in the city of Buffalo. I, I know there's different constraints, but, but hear me out. All right. Brian Nowak, you know, DSA came up from the roots here. I, I shouldn't say that. Hopefully I'm not. And yet has played ball with the, the democratic party, like has gone to all the fundraisers has, you know, made his peace with, with the Jeremy Zellners and, you know, Mark Poland cars and, worked within the structure, within the apparatus of the Democratic Party. Again, that might be anathema to a lot of, you know, the folks railing against the establishment, but ultimately you can be effective. I think Brian has been effective in his time on the Chictawaga Council, and I think he'd be very effective as a supervisor as well, um, in large part because he understands the machinations. Like, he knows you kind of have to work through a lot of the system here. And, and frankly, like, if I were him, I'd be kind of insulted by all of these, you know, progressive, socialist, left-wing, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever adjective you want to throw on there, who rail against the Democratic Party because it's like, well, look, if you're being practical here, and I think Brian's a practical guy, this is how power works here in Western New York. This is how power works here in Buffalo. And understanding how the power machinations work and taking advantage of that is just, it's good politics. It's good, you know, it's pragmatic progressivism, as Byron Brown <laughs> likes right. to say. That's right. And uh, thank you for joining us here on The Square. Um, 
Charlie, you know, again, our listeners, uh, they get all our news from us. They don't, they don't read the Buffalo news. They <laughs> yeah, barely yeah, know yeah. how to read. They can only listen, but, but on the off <laughs> chance that they might, uh, pay for a subscription to the Buffalo news or just want more of your, um, trenchant, insightful commentary, um, where can, where can you be found? Yeah. So buffalonews.com and, um, uh, we have a politics page on there and I'm also on, on Facebook and, you know, social media, I'm trying to get an Instagram thing going, but you know, we're going to be doing more videos and we, you know, we, we, I should say, you know, maybe this was warranted in the past, you know, there was a lot of criticism about, you know, the news and coverage and things. Um, and I will say that I, I do think, um, you know, we have first black female editor in Belvin's history. Uh, you've seen some, you know, some things from the editorial board that you, you probably wouldn't have seen an endorsement from Matt Deering, you know, five years ago. And I think that, um, you know, at least I do, and I know that all my colleagues want to come into, you know, our reporting with an open mind. And, you know, I, I think we are a lot less dependent upon institutions that we're supposed to be holding accountable uh, than maybe we were in the past. And I think that's that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing for journalism and democracy. And so I would just say, you know, give us a chance. And uh, if you don't like something for one of our articles, we, of course, we, we hear about it very quickly on Twitter. But give us a call. And, uh, and you know, reporters like to, you know, hear the different arguments. And, uh, and, and we're open to that. So we appreciate uh, anything your listeners can do. Well, beautifully said. And yet I reserve the right to call the Buffalo snooze. I'm not giving that up anytime <laughs> soon. I, you'll pry that from my cold dead hands, but uh, no, we have a pleasure to have you, Charlie. I'm, we'll have you on again. Um, I'm sure. Anytime. And, uh, anytime. Absolutely. Love chopping it up with you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening guys. And until next time. With Let's Go Pills, I wanted to make a beer that was similar to the beers I grew up drinking in in the tailgate. And I wanted a clear American lager that was crisp and and just really sharp. It it takes the classic American lager and and we we showcase craft ingredients made by locals, made by fans, uh, to be shared by fans. Bring community to all that you do and good things happen. 